Critic David Kerr of the Chicago Reader described this movie as a fascinating souvenir of how the hippie movement thought of itself. Hollywood Reporter called it one of the few films to see and show America. And Amazon user Jay Howard wrote that it was just another weird 60s movie with a script that was probably written while someone was high as heck. On this episode of Ruined Childhoods, we determine the fate of Easy Rider. Greetings, Starfighters. Greetings, Easy Riders. Yeah, I don't know. Man. Does that work? Get your motor running. No. Gre- greetings, greetings, hitchhikers. Greetings. Greetings, greetings fellow travelers upon this sure. road, which, um, which we call this highway, which we call life. Or you know, in the Dan, words of Tom Cochran, life is a highway. Uh, that's where I was going. I had to take that one home. Yeah. Thank you very much for uh, diving on that grenade <laughs> so that I didn't have to do it. <laughs> Anytime. You know... You know that's a grenade I'm happy to jump on. Yeah. All right. Fair enough. Uh, so, Dan, hey. how's it going? Oh, it is. It's going well over here in Dan land. Um, oh, boy. So, well, I, what? You know, uh, for those of you who are who are new to the podcast, I teach high school uh, language arts and I have quite a bunch of characters in my classes my life is some type of mockumentary in which sometimes I am a character and at other times an audience member. And we just started second semester. So we've had some, some kids who've had to switch out of certain classes because they're like my classes a full year, but they have other classes that are one semester classes. So they transfer in and out of sections so I've fortunately I've 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 had kids going to their counselors begging to get back into my classes. Yeah, that's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, not I mean not I I I will not take all of the credit because some of it is all of my friends are in that class. No. But I also think some of it is I you know, you establish a connection, you establish a rapport and you transfer over to a new teacher and you got to kick you got to kick that all off again meanwhile the teacher's already got a connection to the majority of the kids who have been in the class from the beginning of the year so it's and you know it's fine this happens every year and it doesn't take us too long it's just an awkward moment cuz it's also right after semester 1 finals which means I need to show a movie that's going to take at least three class periods so I can grade and get mm-hmm. things done. So we are through day two of A Raisin in the Sun, which, and I'm going to connect it to our, our theme. Sure. So all, again, for those who may be new, what we do here is we talk about 
the the possibilities, the potential in rebooting various franchises, remaking movies from the past, creating sequels that have come longer. You know, usually a sequel comes within five years, mm-hmm. but we've. I think I I would say recently in the past decade we've had a lot more sequels that have been coming. 20, 20 years later, one of the the sequels I'm I'm gonna bring up in a, in a couple of minutes when we're when we're talking news. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Big news breaking breaking today on the day we're recording this, Friday, January thirty first, twenty twenty. But coming back to what I was talking about with class is we just finished reading A Raisin in the Sun. And A Raisin in the Sun is one of those plays that is... Con- Revivals are like reboots in theater, but there's so much more common. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. They're, you know, Broadway's been doing it forever. I guess which Hollywood's been doing it forever, too, with The Great Train Robbery. Yeah. That came out. From the jump. Executive year. Yep. So Raisin in the Sun, one of those plays that is studied is produced it's just it's a work that doesn't it almost it doesn't age it's consistently relevant uh if you haven't if you're not familiar with it feel free i'm not going to i'm not going to go into a synopsis but a raisin in the sun by lorraine hansberry is is fantastic this is my third year teaching it and at the end of the unit, we watch a movie. And I've I've been using it as my second or as my first semester final for the past three years. Uh-huh. And so so the first year I was like, okay, I'm gonna show them the the Sidney Poitier, the the classic, nineteen sixty one, the first film adaptation of a raisin in the sun. And I put it on for the kids, and as I was watching it with them, it was very it just seemed very shouty i Hmm. and i'm i love sydney poitier but this was not one of his more nuanced performances and the film was very it was a bit it was a bit much bit much okay so then i thought to myself hmm i i really would like to have something that is going to hold the kids interest and let them see a visualization of the play after they've had the opportunity to visualize it for themselves so I got a DVD copy of the 2008 TV movie of the 2006 Broadway revival starring okay. Felicia Rashad as Mama yeah. and uh, in the lead role of Walter, Sean Combs, Diddy, okay. Puff Daddy. And it was, th- I, th- and this is Goldilocks. This is, it's Mr. Wiener and the Three Raisins in the Sun. Okay. Or Raisin in the Suns. So, so the Sidney Poitier one was too, was too hard. The Diddy one was too soft because all of his dialogue was said like this. Everything just sounded like this. What, like was uh, Fonsworth Bentley in it holding up an umbrella over him? <laughs> no. No. Um... Oh, but oh, oh! What's the guy's name? The actor who I really like, who uh, I think Bill Nunn from, from Sister okay. Act, the cop in yeah. Sister Act. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he he pops up in it. John Stamos is in it, so the nice. kids are all like, "Oh, it's Uncle Jesse!" And oh, wow, he's a racist yeah. because yeah. So he plays the, a racist. He plays yeah. No, he's playing a racist. Yes. So 
And then we don't need any lawsuits from John Stamos. No, John Stamos is not is not a racist, but and neither is Jesse Katsopoulos, the character of Full and Fuller House. To our knowledge. To our knowledge. But the character of Carl Lindner, who John Stamos played in A Racing in the Sun, yes, racist. Yes. So so that version, I was I was not happy with that version. So I I did did my research, went around the internet, was looking for different productions and found a the full full recording beginning to end of a nineteen eighty nine American Playhouse remake of okay. A Raisin in the Sun. Not a readaptation of A Raisin in the Sun, starring and hold on because I'm gonna segue into some news. Okay. Because it starred as in the role of Mama Esther Roll, the magnificent Esther Roll, and in the role of Walter, Mr. Danny Glover. I knew you were going to say Danny Glover. Danny I know Glover. The news. Because yes, because Lethal Weapon Five, not the it's fun. It's always sunny in Philadelphia. Lethal right. Weapon Five, which is phenomenal, but uh, an actual Lethal Weapon Five has an been announced. Lethal Weapon Five. So. As 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 I have it from from CNN, we've got the producer Dan Lin, who produced the the, the Lethal Weapon TV series and has also produced right. the Two Popes and the Lego Movie. He's announced that Richard Donner is coming back to direct the original wow. cast is coming. So I'm because I'm and I'm thinking about this. I'm like, wow, because Danny Glover just popped up in the new Jumanji with <laughs> with right. uh, Danny DeVito of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, and. Lethal Weapon Fives collide. You've got Joe Pesci reappearing in The Irishman. What has Rene Russo been doing? And is Mel Gibson allowed back? No. <laughs> I guess we will see how things try- shake The out. last thing I remember seeing Rene Russo in was Nightcrawler, but that was... Right, I Nightcrawler was been, wonderful. And, and, and Thor, but Nightcrawler was after Thor. Well, she was in Avengers Endgame... Oh yes, yes. So okay, so that was she shows up right. there. I, no, like Renee Russo has definitely been uh, been working and love her in Nightcrawler. By the way, Nightcrawler is such a crazy yeah. movie. Nightcrawler, by the way, not affiliated with Marvel, not that or X Men. Right. Not 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 at all. But man, talk about it. I'm getting chills thinking about that movie. Anyway, so Lethal Weapon Five. When it comes to Jake Gyllenhaal performances. It's like Nightcrawler's up there with uh, Mr. Music from John Mulaney and the Sack Lunch Bunch. I don't know if you've seen it, but <laughs> Jake Gyllenhaal steals the show right at the very end. I have not seen it, but... It is wild. So, throwback to when I was talking about possibly bringing on some guests. Mm-hmm. I'm, I have a connection to somebody who worked on John Mulaney and the Sack Lunch Bunch and, okay. um, oh, hello, who did, she, uh, she, she created the tuna sandwich for, oh, hello. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. So, and she's, I think she like, she's done a lot of stuff with Mulaney and, and Kroll and all them. Uh-huh. So yes, I, I, I teach okay, a relative. Well, so. We'll see where that can uh, come into play. <laughs> I'm, I'm working my connections anyway. Fair enough. So, but but back to to Lethal Weapon Five. I don't want to I don't want to speculate too much in case we, in the event we decide to do a Lethal Weapon right. episode. But 
how do you how are you feeling on it, John? I'm trying to remember the here's what I remember about Lethal Weapon Four. There's a guy with a flamethrower. Jet Li was in Lethal Weapon Four. Right. Yeah. Chris Rock a, was in Lethal Weapon Four. That's true. Um mm. Van Halen did a song that was in the Lethal Weapon Four called Fire in the Hole. It came out while I was going through a pretty major Van Halen phase. Um that was when Van Halen three came out, the garbage album with Gary Sharon. Uh, so I wonder if if Van Halen is going to come back with another jammer for Lethal Weapon 5. Um, and I know that Leo Getz was part of it, but I don't remember how. I, I haven't seen the fourth one in forever. I, it's funny because I actually, I, again, don't want to say anything that I should say for Lethal Weapon episode but remember where and when I saw Lethal Weapons 3 and 4, remember with whom I saw them. And uh-huh. actually, the circumstances under which I saw part three were quite special. All right. Well, let's let, we'll come back around to that another time. Yeah. Little little teaser there for the Lethal Weapon episode. <laughs> I got some. And, and one of the I will drop this one more hint, but. One of the people with whom I saw Lethal Weapon 4 also accompanied me to see Lethal Weapon 3. We're all on the edges Six of our years seats. earlier. Well, you're going to have to <laughs> wait. I'm clamming up on this one. So, so <laughs> Lethal Weapon 5, I... Yeah, I'm... I'm still not over Mel Gibson. No. No, no. And I have, I, I love the Lethal Weapon movies, but it's much rarer that I can watch one. I need, it needs to be like a Lethal Weapon 2. I'll tell you, I didn't have as much of an issue rewatching any of the Mad Max movies, but I think that the more recent things get with Mel Gibson, the it's a little bit harder because yeah you know it's like i don't know well there's a difference there's just a difference we can before he before he just came out with all the all the crazy that he did right right so it's kind of it might have been there but we didn't know so we can watch a lethal web i think they all predate the the incident the, the 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 switch flip, the flip switch, the flip of the switch. Right. Now, if we're talking about Daddy's Home 2, that's a different conversation. <laughs> that's a sequel I'm, where we we knew where he where his mind was at. I'm trying to remember if I I so I didn't actually watch it, but John Lithgow, I feel like it's a movie that I've watched but not listen to. And I've just watched it on other people's screens on airplanes. Got it. When I'm like, it's I don't have my movie. movie on. I've got my book out or I've got my headphones in and I'm like, Oh, that per- Oh yeah. Look at John Lithgow. Oh yeah. It's daddy's home too. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, do you have any, uh, are, are we okay to move on from lethal weapon? We are. I have more news. Okay. Go on. What's your news? So, I, uh, moments before we sat down to record, I watched 
the first trailer for the Jesus Rolls. Oh, the John Turturro directed spinoff of the Big Lebowski, which I think he so he's been given the the blessing of the Coens, and it's uh, Bobby Cannavale is is in it. Nice. He's like he's awesome. Uh, and Audrey Tautou, Tautou, Tautou. Uh-huh. And they, it says, so the description here on IndieWire is, is, uh, oh, this is, so this is the synopsis. Jesus Quintana pairs up with fellow misfits Petey, Bobby Cannavale, and mm-hmm. Marie, Audrey Tautou, and embarks on a freewheeling joyride of petty crime and romance. Uh, the article. This, this goes on to say, while Turturro's character connects the Jesus roles to the Big Lebowski, the actor, director, writer took more guidance from Bertrand Blier, Bertrand Blier's 1974 French comedy drama Going Places while scripting the Jesus roles than hmm. he did Lebowski. Uh, Turturro wrote the film as a remake of Going Places that just so happened to feature his Big Lebowski character in one of the three leading roles. So interesting. So the project was originally titled Going Places, and then it picks up with with him, uh, Jesus, So uh, as he's released from prison. And I'll just read the rest of this. The character and his new friends make enemies with a gun-toting hairdresser played by John Hamm. The cast okay. also includes, wait for it, Christopher Walken... Okay. And Susan Sarandon oh, of Lorenzo's wonderful. Oil. Of Lorenzo's Oil. Oh. Beautiful. I love it. Wrapped up nicely. So <laughs> the, the trailer the trailer does not show you much other than that it, it is definitely going to be bizarre. <laughs> and it really just shows you a you know 20 year later Jesus licking the bowling ball and rolling the ball. Is it 20 years later or 30 years oh, later? Oh, so because the original was set in 1991. Right. So I don't, um, so yeah, because, well, the original came out in 98. That's why I was thinking, right. I think he shot, he might've shot it in 2018 or. Well, I guess it just depends on when he's setting it, if he's keeping it. The, well, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Right. So, yeah. So anyway, Long story short, there's a there's a trailer out for it, and it looks like we'll be seeing it sometime this year. Exciting. Do you have any more news? I sure do. Oh, tell me more. Some follow-up. Tell me more, tell me more. Wrong musical. We're going to talk about Little Shop of Horrors because oh. it sounds like, as, as I see on ScreenRant.com, it looks like there has been an offer made to... Scarlett Johansson to play Audrey. I had I thought you were gonna say to play all the roles. <laughs> I was like, oh boy. Uh Audrey, okay. And it looks like they might be going to Taron Edgerton for okay. Seymour. And okay. he's played right. the role, he did the role before on stage. So it's something he's familiar with. We know he can sing and dance. Sure well. can. And it sounds like they are offering the role of 
Audrey 2, at least the voice of Audrey 2, the carnivorous plant, mm-hmm. to Billy Porter. Billy Porter. Well, I think that the, this course. was like the speculation back when we talked yeah. about it way back when. we de- we I th- Billy Porter was definitely in the mix then. I don't yeah. remember Scarlett Johansson. Right. Billy Turner Porter is the only one that came up. Um, but – Definitely approve of Billy Porter's casting. Absolutely. Uh, So, Dan, do you have any and one more thing about the Rocketeer? I don't have one for the Rocketeer. I do. I I just I do have one, though, for school ties. Okay. And it was just a thought I had the other day as I was scrolling through some of my streaming options and was considering the talented Mr. Ripley. Ooh, I watched that uh, maybe two months ago. It's I read so the, I read, the, I was reading the synopsis, and I just, I just thought, and I wish I had uh, written it down, but I just thought to myself, oh wow, that's the synopsis for School Ties. Like this, this pretender, someone who mm-hmm. pretends to be what he isn't to fit in with these, you know, upper crust type people. I don't know if that's exactly how I would describe the talented Mr. Ripley. He, yes, that's part of it. Well, yeah, it, it's, it's without, without giving much away because I think a lot of the, the, the fun of that movie is in its surprises. Right. I mean, I, what I would say is more like, you know, due to a misunderstanding that never gets corrected, it, you know, it spins this person into a future of impersonating. He's a yeah, I mean. yeah. It's yeah. It's it's less of a conscious decision right off the bat than it is like. You know, You've seen chance led him than I have. Right. Well, uh, he's a piano player, and he borrows a a jacket, I think, to play at some event, and it happens to be a I want to say a Princeton jacket, and somebody comes up to him and asks him, like, "Oh, you you went to Princeton? Do you know this person? Do you know this person?" And that's uh, how he meets the Greenleafs, uh, Dickie Greenleafs' parents, oh, who right. then say, "Oh, you're an old. F- you must know Dickie." And he doesn't correct them, so they're just like, "I want you to go to Italy and convince him to come back." And in doing so, I uh, kind of takes over his life. Right. Yeah. I'm. In, I. I don't think I've seen it since I saw it in the theater. Which I I remember. <laughs> it's a really engaging, very well done film. Excellent performances by um, by Matt Damon. Philip Seymour Hoffman is amazing. Jude Law is yes. great. Gwyneth Paltrow is really good. Kate Blanchett. Kate Blanchett is amazing in it. She has I a mean, very small part, but it's great. But yeah, although it's fu- it's so funny to think because at that I think she she has a, a smaller part in that, but. She had just been nominated for an Oscar for Elizabeth the year before, but I yeah. think that when they had filmed Ripley, she hadn't blown up yet. Well, also, and I think I might have read this in the trivia, but it was something where somebody else was going to do it, but she just wanted to be 
in it or something like there was some reason why she got involved that was not traditional i mean okay yeah so that's interesting after yeah you know what i I, could be wrong i'm gonna check that one out again it's it's been a while but i do remember really liking that movie man that was a strong year i'm i'm not gonna go into it because we (laughs) we need to set ourselves like we need to set ourselves 30 years before that even but 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 first but first, but first and before, uh, I want to just uh, touch on something from The Rocketeer. And this is actually courtesy of an email from French Fry Phil, our buddy. Oh, yes. Um, French Fry By Phil the way, says... Hmm? So if I may, I just want, while, you while we're talking about French Fry Phil here, man, I so great to hear from French Fry Phil for the one year know. anniversary episode. Yeah. So I want to, so, I, like, I just want to shout him out and thank him for sending in that message because... You know, like we get emails from from him and but just to kind of, you know, hear from him and get that message. That was really cool, man. Thank you. Yeah. And if you want to send us either an email or record a voice memo to email us, it's ruinedchildhoodspod at gmail.com. And um, this is what French Fry Phil said. Uh, I just had a potentially embarrassing memory while listening to the podcast. My two brothers and I really liked The Rocketeer when it came out in 91. We watched it a couple times in the theater and had this making of the Rocketeer book that we got in the checkout aisle of a grocery store. I wish I still had it. Great memory, French Fry Phil. That is a bizarre one, and I love it. My youngest brother, who was going to the fourth grade at the time, had a yellow BMX and named his bike Jenny after the character in the film. Sent from Phil's iPhone. I don't know. I just like that last part. (laughs) (laughs) I love... I love naming the BMX Jenny. It's wonderful. It's great. Like, I want Jennifer Connelly to know. Yeah. And on that BMX bike, I hope he had an easy ride. And that brings (laughs) us to our next film. Speaking of bikes. Easy Rider. And I must mention, this is our 50th episode, and we are currently in the 50th anniversary year. It's technically, you know, it came out in 1969, but it was like, Summer of 69, so we're still in that range of the 50th year. Oh, that was when Brian Adams got his first real six string. Yeah. Brought at the five and dime. Yeah. The summer of 69. Fingers. Summer 69. (laughs) I love that song. I'm not a huge Brian Adams fan, but man, I will never get tired of Summer 69. There you go. Back to Easy Rider. Uh, Yeah, so Easy Rider, um, before I launch into a synopsis for anybody... Well, do you have anything to do? What say? to say about a, syno- a synopsis? Oh or? no, 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 no! Just about like you know um, anything about Easy Rider before I launch into a synopsis. Well, I guess it's interesting to note that Peter Fonda came up with the idea for it while he was on uh, he was on a publicity tour, I think, for the the trip. Maybe this Roger Corman, mm, this like it hippie. It might have been. Uh, I'm I'm remembering the story. I watched the documentary, making of documentary on the DVD. Oh, nice. And he was talking about how, and I'd also read this, but apparently, he, like, he had a meeting with some, like, people from, from studio or something. He was kind of pissed off, frustrated, went back to his room, and as he, as he put it, uh, drank, drank a few Heinekens, smoked a few 
smoked a few joints, and then he goes, the du- he, he described he, he described it as the dubs and the heinies kicked in. Oh my god! And he came up with this idea about, I guess these two bikers who were going to travel through, you know, the, the, the John, John Ford's America. Right. And it, and see the country at this time in history in 1969. Right. I, I will, I will launch into a little bit of synopsis, but I will just say that when I, cause I, I, I haven't seen this movie since I think I was in college. So it's been a while and I know that I watched it because I was taking a a class about road movies, and it was Ooh. things like Easy Rider, Two Blaine, Two Blaine, Two Lane Blacktop, Two Lane Blacktop, <laughs> Two Blaine Blacktop, uh, Two Lane Backtop. Uh, <laughs> it takes place at Tulane University, and and uh, Lost in America, which references Easy Rider. And, oh yeah. Uh, you know, it's it was an awesome class, and I have fond memories from it. But I kind of forgot a little bit about Easy Rider until I just rewatched it again the other day, and I think that I don't know. Society has kind of adopted Easy Rider and funneled it into a biker culture. I don't know. That's kind of the genre that it's been put in by a lot of people in the biker world. You know, there are things named after it that revolve around biker stuff, but it really yeah. is about something completely different. And as, you know, biker culture is a, its own form of counterculture, it wasn't at the time that this is being made the the exact type of biker movie that this was meant to represent so here is our little synopsis uh dan i will just blast through this and then we can fill in some blanks afterwards um so i i'll just say uh dennis hopper who directed this movie also plays billy and um peter fonda who was a producer on the movie and and co-wrote it with Dennis Hopper. Um, he plays uh, Wyatt, otherwise known as Captain America. Uh, he wears a Stars and Stripes helmet and jacket. Uh, you only hear his name being said, I think, once towards the end. But um, it's essentially a, a a Western that takes place on the road in the 60s. Wyatt and Billy being pretty traditional cowboy names or names from cowboy lore so after billy and wyatt uh make some money by smuggling cocaine from mexico and selling it to a high profile buyer what phil specter it's phil specter but it's it's, it's just funny that it's character. phil specter it's phil specter i know i saw it and i was like is that phil specter but yeah, I, phil specter. I thought it was roman polanski at first and- i did too I did too. Okay, good. I'm not crazy. But I, right. I wasn't sure if that was because I had just watched Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and I had Polanski on the brain and like they have a similar look, especially at that right. time. Yeah. yeah. Um, so anyway, so uh, after they sell the cocaine to this high-profile buyer, they plan to make their way um, east from Los Angeles uh, to go to New Orleans for Mardi Gras. And along the way, 
They first encounter a traveling hippie on his way back to his commune, um, a hitchhiking hippie, I should say. And in exchange for the ride, after he gets back to the commune, he gives them some LSD. And he essentially says, do this with the right people at the right time. You'll know when it is. When you get to the right place with the right people, a quarter of this, you know, this could be the right place. The time's running out. Then after they part ways, and I'm not giving, I'm not going into details about scenes because we could just be here for days talking, like breaking down each scene. But uh, then they they go on their way and they uh, get arrested for parading without a permit. They just kind of end up in the middle of a parade and get arrested. Uh, and and it should be noted that generally people see them and they see all they see is hippies and they want nothing to do with them. They don't let them stay in motels. Uh, They're just looked at by townies as being scum. So of course they get arrested for whatever reason the cops could come up with in this case, parading without a permit. And in the jail cell, they meet, uh, they meet George who's played by Jack Nicholson, who is a, an alcoholic lawyer Here's the first of the day, fellas. To old D.H. Lawrence. (laughs) Who ends up getting them out of jail. And he says that he's always wanted to go to Mardi Gras, but has never actually made his way out to New Orleans. So he hops along with them. And uh, it's a real fun character. I'm excited to get into that. Uh, And after they encounter some townies who don't approve of hippies, uh, they go off to um, camp overnight. And the townies come and start beating them, and they beat George to death, which is tragic. And um, to honor him, they go and visit a brothel that George was telling him about once they get to New Orleans. No, man. Hey, listen. No, really seriously, no. He would have wanted us to, man. Once Billy and Wyatt spend some time with two of the women there, they eventually decide to do the LSD together, resulting in a very bad trip where they face their inner demons, and it's a a very long, trippy trip. (laughs) And uh, the next day, as they're kind of moving along, uh, I don't know, Wyatt has this moment where he feels like they've kind of let themselves down and gone against their ways. (laughs) We've done it, we've done it. We're rich, Wyatt. (laughs) Yeah, man. (laughs) Yeah. Hey, we did it, man. We did it. We did it. <laughs> We're rich, man. We're retired in Florida now, mister. <clears throat> you know, Billy? We blew it. What? <laughs> what, what, what? That's what it's all about, man. I mean, like, you know. I mean, you go for the big money, man, and then you're free. You dig? <laughs> we blew it. 
Good night, man. Uh, there's a moment earlier where um, they're talking about kind of their hippie lifestyle and how it's all about being free. And it seems like why it feels like they've gone away from that a little bit. So um, on their next ride, two locals in a truck decide to give Billy a little bit of a scare. And uh, guy sets off his shotgun and shoots Billy. And while Wyatt is going up for help, the locals take a shot at him and you just see his motorcycle get blasted into pieces. I I had a question. Are they not... So the two guys in the truck are not the same as the people who were in the diner who... No, 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 no. No, okay. Yeah. Was one the, of the people in the truck like a cop? Am I, am I remembering no, that correctly? No, you are okay. not. I'm not. One of the guys from the diner was a cop. Right. Yes. Yeah. No, the guys in the truck, um, they were just guys in a truck. Good old old boys. Well, (laughs) you know, hippie hating good old boys. Yeah. When you, you know, they're driving in a pickup truck with a, you know, a rifle. Yeah. Yeah, You know. So. Yeah, I mean, this movie... I don't mean it in a derogatory manner. Yeah, this movie, you know, it's about that hippie counterculture. And, you know, Dennis Hopper really wanted to set out and capture, like you were saying, the feel of the late 60s uh, through the eyes of these, you know, wanderers. These, These guys who, you know, they just needed to get money so that they can not do anything, not be part of society. Uh, the the music, by the way, they use a song in it called Wasn't Born to Follow, mm-hmm. which is the monkeys covered that on their, the album Good Times that they put out right, a few yeah. years ago. And it's just such, it, it, it says exactly what you're saying. And it's such an appropriate song. Well, I'd rather go and journey where the diamond crescent's glowing it's it's one of those songs where they really it's like they have the whole song i think it's when they go skinny dipping Right, it's yeah, playing. with the girls from the commune. Yeah, but what's interesting is Wyatt and Billy don't really... So they're seen as hippies, but they they are, but they aren't. They're almost like the convergence of... Like, they don't really fit in all the way with the hippies. Right, like they the don't, people from the commune. Like they're, Those yeah, are they're, like true hippies. They're a little rough and tumble for the for the commune, mm-hmm. but then they go to the they go into that diner and they're the they're the long hairs, and then everyone yeah. in the diner is talking about uh, yeah the one guy talking about yeah one man kissing another man and check that joker with the long hair. I checked him already. Look like we might have to bring him up to the hilton before it's all over. Huh. I think she's cute, isn't she though? Guess we put him in a woman's cell, don't you reckon? Oh, I think we ought to put him in a cage and charge a little admission to see him. Look like a bunch of refugees from a gorilla love in. 
A gorilla couldn't love that. <laughs> Nor could a mother. I don't know. I thought most jails were built for humanity, and that won't quite qualify. Wonder where they got those wigs from. They probably grew them, looked like they're standing in fertilizer. Nothing else would grow on them. You know what I mean? I saw two of them one time. They were just kissing away. Two males. Just think of it. They're it, everything because they're seeing. But also at the well, next booth over, there's the like teenage girls who see them and are fascinated by them. Oh, yes. And enamored yes. by them. Yeah, well, and that doesn't help their situation any. No. Quickly to just talk about something that you brought up, um, which is the music. Uh, it should be noted that this is really one of the first movies that used like popular music, that like music that wasn't made for a movie specifically for the soundtrack. Um, I, I think I just saw that like, you know, movies like, you know, the Beatles movies, which clearly was their music, was you know, used for it. But this is one where it's like actual current music of the time. Yeah. yeah. Music that reflected what the, that reflected mm-hmm. the theme themes of the movie. Yeah. So this movie comes out in July, 1969. Mm-hmm. Later, a month later is Woodstock. And then December 69 is Altamont where the hell's angels Getting it's a where the with the Rolling Stones, right? And the Hell's Angels, and everybody people get just killed. cool out, yeah, cool <laughs> exactly. out, brothers and sisters. Come on now, that means cool, everybody me just cool out. Let me out of here. There's nowhere to go, man. You cool out, everybody. <laughs> yeah, but. Seriously speaking, it's like it, biker culture all isn't isn't they're not the hippies here. They're the aggressors mm-hmm. in that. So and things go and then it's the 70s and it's, you know, things kind of things get dark because it's the 70s and, you know, Nixon gets reelected and nothing changes mm-hmm. and that we're still in Vietnam. So it's this the hippie movement kind of crashing and burning, which <laughs> right. is in July of 1969 hasn't happened yet. Yet that is exactly what happens at the end of the movie. Very much not, so. Not to mention the disillusion with the American dream, the, the symbolism watching it now. And I haven't seen this. So I could tell you the first time I saw this movie and it was, uh, it was a VHS tape that I borrowed from. I, it was when I was working as a counselor at Yak Day Camp. Oh my god! I believe it might have been the summer I was your counselor. Okay. And it was either Eric Mendelssohn's father, Doctor Joel Mendelssohn. Oh my god! My allergist, my childhood or, allergist. <laughs> who had great taste in music and and movies or though I also remember talking movies with Eric Rubin's father. Huh? I remember. And so it was one of the two lent me. And I want to say it was a single VHS tape that had on it. 
Easy Rider and Lost in America. Either that or oh, they let me both movies. So I, I, I'm pretty sure I might be remembering things slightly incorrectly, but I remember there was there was this, either that or they, we were talking about Lost in America and they were like, wait a second, you've seen Lost in America, but you haven't seen Easy Rider. You need to see Easy Rider. And one way or the other, that's how I saw Easy Rider. I remember I was so... I was confused, but I knew I didn't get it. Oh, yeah. It's not an easy I mean, movie. I was 15 or 16. Right. Yeah, well, and it's also, if you don't if you don't get metaphor and symbolism, I mean, the acid trip. It's crazy. Is, uh, but, and I, I, I don't, I don't know. I've never, I've, I've never, full disclosure, I have not ever tried acid nor do i plan to Mm -hmm. especially not after seeing right and by the way do you know i think one of the 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 women that they're with in that scene is tony basil uh of mickey oh mickey you're so fine you're so fine you blow my mind that's that oh my god right the other one is karen black yeah karen black of of karen black of most movies made around right. that time by that group of people, Bob Ravis right. and Jack Nicholson. Yeah. But I felt like that. So just read, but seeing it now and watching it from a more educated standpoint, from a more experienced standpoint and a more uh, analytical eye and seeing the, the symbolism in, in the, the Captain America, everything from oh, I mean, yeah. the beginning the opening when the first thing you see is the the little the cafe called La Contenta happiness right. and that's mm-hmm. where they're leaving and the like Dennis Hopper's look which is very native american influenced mm-hmm. with the the, the, the fringe, fringe on the jacket yeah. and, the, and the hair so the idea of like of of seeing him and Peter Fonda riding next to each other the juxtaposition of the american flag and this more native american look mm-hmm. And then I, I I just wanted to touch on a couple of moments in the film. I felt when they were they they stop uh, to fix their bikes at that farm with the right. family. There's that big family and they sit down and, and say grace. And it's this yeah. real it's this moment where you get to like both uh, Will, both uh, Wyatt and Billy are you know, respectful and reverent Wyatt sure. more so than Billy, but they're, but they clearly like, this is not their lifestyle. And for some reason to me, it played like this kind of subconscious tribute to this connect to Tom Jode, the, the iconic character of John Steinbeck's Grapes of Wrath played by Henry Fonda. Right. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I had this moment of like, oh wow, I feel like it like I'm looking at Peter Fonda at this table. I'm like, oh my God, he's he's time Joad for the late sixties. <laughs> you know, wherever there's I'll I'll be there. And I, I I felt watching it that I was really watching this this time capsule, this this artifact. Yeah. So what's also very interesting is like this is certainly a nineteen sixty-nine time capsule it's something that should be looked back upon as a reflection of the time there's a lot about it that certainly resonates a lot today with the way that people of you know different ways of thinking are looked upon and um and and the way that americans tend to be the the kind of things that people don't talk about but do 
And it was really fascinating to watch this now as opposed to like 15 or whatever years ago since I saw it where I'm I'm in a different state of mind. I'm in a different place in my life. And it's, I don't know, it just really resonated with me a lot this time, even though I was watching it like on a computer on an airplane the other day. Yeah, I don't know. It, it was really interesting to see because, you know, this is 50 years ago. And as much as a lot has changed, certain things just haven't changed a whole lot. Right, right. And it's it's funny because that's bring it uh, back a little bit to uh, Raisin in the Sun. It's the same, it's a similar discussion that we had because mm -hmm. of the various sequels and spinoffs of a Raisin in the Sun, like Clybourne Park, which was a play written in 2011 mm -hmm. and talking about how the, we're still having the conversation because the, the problems are, are still there. And I found if, first of all, I want to say like, man, I think anyone who knows anything about the making of this film knows that Dennis Hopper was an absolute maniac. Right. On the set, a uh, a tyrant, like he had guns and he was paranoid and he was talking about like the FBI, like when they were in New Orleans shooting at Mardi Gras, because also in New Orleans, you have the intelligence community kind of mm -hmm. nestled all, uh, you have major offices of the intelligence community. It's true. All right there. So Dennis Hopper was, and everyone was was on something at, at some point. And the the weed in the movie is they're actually smoking right marijuana. They're not actually doing they, the cocaine though. Not actually doing the cocaine. I want to say not doing the acid though. Dennis, I think Hopper wanted them to be doing right. it, and they did not. But I felt that, it, it, and in the in the brothel, he. He, there's this moment where he, you have a flash forward of the motorcycle crash. Mm -hmm. And it's like, my God, it's America seeing its own demise. Right. Yeah. It, America, while it's, it, while it's lulled into this sense of false comfort, because a brothel, like it, you're not home. <laughs> you're, mm -hmm. you, you might be comfortable. You might be, you're certainly making yourself at home, but you're not at home. And, you know, while he's lulled into the sense of comfort, he sees his own demise. You've got you're surrounded by a lot of like the Native American imagery. So it's kind of this karmic blast of this is what's happening to society that the pendulum is swinging. Yeah. And and similarly, something that I want to point out is like, you know, such a big anthem of this movie is born to be wild it's what plays during the opening credits and that's been co-opted by biker culture as being you know this motorcycle song and right. the difference and i was alluding to this a little bit earlier but like the difference between you know billy and wyatt and and their connection with motorcycles is very different from the present day connection with the motorcycles and it's like for them born to be wild was like they're they're anarchists they are people who are working outside the system completely right they don't want any part of it and that it's just it's different now and you know you're born to be wild and you might have the vision of the two of them on their motorcycles one of them with the american flag on his jacket or his helmet but you know it's really no, about it's... the opposite of that 
Sturgis. Look up the Sturgis where well, I I was a producer on a show, um, a, a TV show about Sturgis. The, the motorcycle rally. <laughs> uh, it was it was called Full Throttle Saloon. It's about a bar that oh yeah is there that's right Sturgis. So yeah, and it's like biker culture is, and even Hell's Angels going back to that era. You know that's a different <laughs> type of biker than Wyatt and Billy were. <laughs> it it reminds me, and actually, I've, so first I want to go back to uh, where I was going with Dennis Hopper, but. What I thought while watching this movie was, man, this movie was really made in the editing room. And Mm. in that editing room, just imagining how chaotic the shoot was and how much footage there must have been to look at what he put together. And he really puts, I think it it gives you the experience, for somebody who did not live during the 60s, my feeling was that it put you much more in that place than most other movies set at, at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you, you'd mentioned the hell's angels though. And it reminded me of an old back, back in the sketch comedy days. Okay. Where, where we did a sketch about the, about hell's angels, but it was where two land developers who want to get a bunch of old people to move out of a, a home. We we kind of cribbed a little bit from Dirty Work, the Norm okay. Macdonald film, but in, in so we went to, to the Hell's Angels to get them to help us out. But the Hell's Angels are now very new agey, and we walk in like they're doing yoga. One mm-hmm. of them's making a smoothie, and it's almost it's almost as if the bikers decided to join the commune. You know, like one of them is nursing when when we show up and. Uh-huh. It was one of those very out of out of place things. But then, you know, they were also at, at a moment's notice throwing one each other, one, you know, one another against the wall. And mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> I just so it good stuff know, made me think of that. Made me think of that. <laughs> so I uh, let's talk about, you know, we were saying earlier how there are some movies that have sequels that come out many, many years later. And this movie did have a sequel. Nobody from the original was involved. Somebody a prequel, a prequel, right? Somebody bought the rights and kind of maliciously like blocked out people from interfering who had anything to do with the original. Is it called like easy rider? Like the ride, the ride back, the ride back. That's right. And the ride uh, back. yeah, it's supposed to be about, Wyatt's upbringing and I don't know didn't watch it but it it's pretty recent but yeah 2012 yeah yeah, yeah. recent enough yeah it, it's kind of hard to make a sequel when your your two lead characters and your primary supporting character don't survive the movie yeah and I think because of the meaning of the movie and just the the, the allegory, yeah, how much of it is is symbolic, it, it doesn't seem to me to make sense to build off of it. Like, because I was, the, oh yes, a prequel, Wyatt and Billy, the college years, right, or yeah. not? <laughs> no, know, Wyatt and Billy's first trip. Uh, 
so I, I was trying to think of, you know, so what would you do with this? And, and I, I was thinking about the meaning of, of the movie. Uh-huh. And I thought about the ending, really thinking about the ending. Cause this is also the first time I saw this movie where I really got it, where I felt like right. I got it, or at least I got it more than before. And it, so thematically, I actually connected it to another movie because thematically, I, I, I kind of felt like it said, well, the establishment, the system rewards those who don't question or fight it. So, like, do you think the the guys in the pickup are going to see any consequences for their no. actions? None whatsoever. You know what? They're, I'm sure they're because when you saw in the cafe, even though they're not the same people, the sheriff is, you know, is in with them. The cops right. are you know they're they're all they're all on the same team and they're the establishment so the establishment rewards those who adhere to its rules and those who who fight it they they get there's consequences mm-hmm. which made me think a lot of Forrest Gump okay uh-huh yeah because Forrest Gump just kind of he Forrest Gump's his way through life and you know, just keeps on running until they say stop, Forrest, stop, and or he doesn't he feel like d- running anymore, or he doesn't. <laughs> uh, I'm tired, and so, and I, I mean, I like Forrest Gump. I enjoy the movie, but it, it's definitely like Forrest Gump. All of these things happen. He's famous. He meets, you know, every president. He goes to Vietnam and comes back, and he's like, I had ice cream. And mm-hmm. get then gets famous playing ping pong and like Forrest Gump gets famous so many times. I, I it, it's one of those things that confuses me about it. But meanwhile, everybody else around him suffers. Yeah. From Jenny to not Lieutenant from Rockets here, Jenny or Bubba. French Fry Phil's no. brother's bike. But imagine, but I bet you some people did name their bikes after, after Jenny. I bet they Gump. did. I bet you Forrest Gump did. So I, I I thought about it that way. I was thinking about the theme and I was just thinking about what. So that kind of fueled my thinking about what, if anything, I, I, I would I would do with this. Uh, is there anything, John, you wanted to add before I launch in? I uh, go right ahead. My follow up to this would be and and pardon the similarities to rumor has it. i'm 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 just i'm admitting it right now that it's there it's not intentionally there but it's there so okay the making of easy rider was clearly like a free-for-all and it was 1969 so there were definitely some babies conceived while that movie was being shot and i'm imagining now so let's say you know 50, 50 years later, let's let let's you know you pick it up fifty years later. So you have you have someone, let's say, um, you know, the appropriate age, someone like a, a Javier Bardem, okay, let's say, or, or or perhaps a Matthew McConaughey who who would fit the uh, the appropriate age range there, or all or right, you all could right, go right. in a. Uh, I was gonna say Catherine Zeta Jones. I don't know if she's. Uh, if if she's work, I haven't seen her in anything in a while. I uh, I don't know, but go on. So for for their fiftieth birthday, they like uh, Julianne Moore would be mm-hmm. good. Uh, so for their fiftieth birthday, they get a you know whatever twenty three and Me. Okay, and they they discovered that their father was Peter Fonda. 
was actual Peter Fonda. It was actual not Peter the character, Fonda. Uh, not like the okay. Got no, it. no, 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 no. Actual that that's what I'm saying. Like no actual Peter Fonda. That while they were and I was thinking because I was I was thinking of the different locations and they shot in New Mexico, mm-hmm. they shot in New Orleans, Arizona. Yeah. So I and I and and I guess the reason why I'm going more towards a um a Javier Bardem is because thinking of the themes of America and disenfranchisement, because Billy and Wyatt are these two guys who don't they they don't fit in. They don't fit into mainstream culture. They don't fully fit into the biker culture. They're not the Hells Angels that are gonna be killing people at Altamont. Mm-hmm. And they don't fit in Everybody cool out. Sorry. <laughs> Every time. Uh, so I'm just I'm imagining that what if what if someone a, a you know Mexican American who discovers you know a new you know, never knew, you know, he, he knew that whoever he, he grew up knowing as his father was not his biological father. And, you know, finds out his, his biological father is Peter Fonda. And I think setting it in, starting it in like 2019 is significant because Peter Fonda passed away in mm-hmm. 2019. So you have this guy who finally finds out who his, who his father is and he can't, and I mean, this would work with Dennis Hopper too, but I think with Peter Fonda, passing more recently it makes more sense and i also think peter fonda being really the the i would say the spirit behind this film right with with dennis hopper directing it was peter fonda's vision Mm -hmm. so you have this this character who says well i i'm i'm at this part i'm at this crossroads in my life and if you have the character be mexican-american they're at this point where they're really starting to question, you know, what is America and who am I in America? What's my function? And I mean, let's say he lives somewhere in in a, you know, whatever liberal bubble. And maybe he's like, look, maybe I don't know what America is. Maybe I need to get out there. And the one way that he can, he's like, you know what? I can't meet my father. But the one way I can connect with him is to do this this ride mm-hmm. that he envisioned in this film that brought in that brought me into existence. If if Peter Fonda did not have this vision to make this film and do this thing, I would not be here having my fiftieth birthday and finding out he's my father. Uh huh. So just want to make a quick and, note that Javier yeah. Bardem is of Spanish descent. So. Uh, yes, yes. I'm. So, I apologize. So, for for that, um, he's an amazing actor. So I'm, indeed, I think he could. He could. He could do it. So, uh, <laughs> right. I mean, the so whole, going like, on that going on that yeah. journey. So going going on that journey, and seeing, picking up a hitchhiker. Well, I mean, so, you know, riding and I don't know who goes along with them. Maybe it's their, maybe it's their kid who goes maybe along with them. Maybe it's the wild hogs. William H. Macy. It John could Travolta. be William. <laughs> it could be, it, it, it could be William. Yeah. No, he'd have a reason to go on a road trip these days. So William H. Macy. Yeah, I'm trying to remember now. I never saw that movie. Wild hogs. Martin Lawrence. 
Was he Smart one of minds. the wild hogs? Wild hogs for life. All right, go on. So anyway, so that's that's so that's what I was seeing, and I was just, and it was, I was also thinking of it because I saw on the news that a portion of the border wall had blown over. Right. Mm-hmm. So I'm imagining, like, what if this character is driving along along the border? What if he runs into, you know, what if they're riding and they run into, you know, some some of these like vigilante border patrol militias right. yeah. out there? What if they are, you know, like, let's see, let's use a a film inspired by Easy Rider to do for now what Easy Rider did for then. Yeah. I I definitely had similar thoughts going into this, you know, something that follows that path. Mine was, you know, I wasn't necessarily going in the rumor has it direction, um, but you know, maybe maybe this person in your in your vision, you know, also has a, a an encounter with Kevin Costner. Hard to say. Why not? I we could find a place for Kevin Costner. Maybe Mark Ruffalo is there. <laughs> Just saying. Jennifer Aniston. Maybe it is Jennifer Aniston. Yeah, she's just like, this, here we go journey. again. <laughs> yep. It's called Rumor okay. Has It, Here We Go Again. <laughs> Easy rumor. Easy rumor. <laughs> oh, boy. Um, Easy Reiner. Okay. Because Rob sure. Reiner directed Rob it. Rob Reiner can direct it. Yeah. No, I yeah, I uh, oh yeah, and it's yeah. I hadn't actually thought of uh, a filmmaker just because I don't know that I know right that I that I necessarily am familiar with the right filmmaker to do yeah. something like this. Yeah, I hear you. Where where I ended up going with this was more about the, because, like you were saying, the making of this movie is so fascinating. Dennis Hopper was off the rails. Uh, everybody was getting high. They were hiring like people they just like meet, like locals, to be the crew. And uh, up until the point that they decided, yeah, we should probably just get a real crew. And <laughs> the character of George Hansen uh, allegedly was supposed to be Rip Torn. And yes. Dennis Hopper pulled a knife on him and went crazy and then he quit and then there there's actually a whole lawsuit about it because Dennis Hopper said that Rip pulled the knife on him and then there was like this whole counter lawsuit and stuff it's I just, really hope that I really hope that Rip Torn when he heard that goes oh horse shit horse shit uh no and it's that's such a fascinating like all the stories behind the making of this movie are so fascinating and it is so reflective of the movie itself the way that it was made. And I think that it would be really cool to do in kind of like the way that they did the disaster artist for the room, but actually for a good movie this time, but do a movie about the making of the movie and like how things came together and how they almost fell apart a hundred thousand times. Like, you know, Peter Fonda was trying to get Dennis Hopper fired from it like the whole time. And I don't know. Um, so I thought that it'd be really cool to do a movie about the making of it because, yeah, like you said, sequel doesn't work because the characters are all dead. The actors are mostly all dead. A prequel has been done and no one wants it or cares about it. Uh, yeah. You know, doing a remake 
I'm sure that there are plenty of movies that consider themselves in some ways remakes of Easy Rider. Borat. Borat. <laughs> Not entirely, but if you, th- it just kind of occurred to me as we're talking about it, I was thinking about it, I was like, oh, well, you know, Borat is kind of like an Easy Rider. He's this guy who is... <laughs> You never know. There could really be some influence in there, but no. Yeah. So I think that I think that doing something that honors the history of this movie is deserved. And mm-hmm. uh, I was trying to think of casting. The only person I could think of to play Peter Fonda was Army Hammer. I have I, I when I was initially thinking. Of like, uh, before I knew about Easy Rider, the ride, the ride back, mm-hmm. and I I made some notes about uh, who would I cast as in, in a prequel. I, I actually on my notes, I I just have in all caps prequel, and then below that Army Hammer. That is all my notes. Oh, prequel. that's so funny. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he. I mean, he just works for that type of person, and he's the right choice. He's the right choice uh, for a Dennis Hopper. Um, I was thinking maybe like Daniel Radcliffe or Emil Hirsch, maybe Robert Pattinson. I don't know. Just trying to think of like the real like wiry weirdos. No, because Shia LaBeouf, when you see Shia LaBeouf in something, it's like, oh, there's Shia LaBeouf. I don't know. I haven't seen the new movies that he's got out, but. Okay. Honey Boy, he's playing his own father, which is pretty weird and then in peanut butter falcon i mean it's it's hard to look at him and not think like okay there's shia labeouf he's doing a good job you know mm-hmm. oh, okay so i don't know for somebody to, you want somebody to okay. kind of like blend into the role a little bit more yeah. um yeah. and as far as directors go i think some of the obvious ones are like edgar wright just because of the way he uses music in movies i feel like there's a good connection there for how easy Ryder is using music in movies. And also he's just a great director. Well, and I'm, 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 I'm pausing for a moment and trying to remember if Edgar Wright has ever done anything that's period. Um, I mean, there's the Coronado trilogy, which is not period. Yeah, no, no, I'm just listing things. Baby driver, Scott Pilgrim. Yeah. Everything is is contemporary. Well, I would on, love on to see note, Edgar Wright do. Yeah, I would love to see Edgar Wright sure shoot something that takes place in in the late sixties. And um, oh, I like the. I, I, no, uh, let me just go through uh, my yeah, my director please, list. Please, uh, yeah. Spike Jones was a thought just because I love his work oh. and would think that he would do something really interesting with it. Oh yeah, Ben Wheatley who did Free Fire, uh, which I did watched pretty recently. I don't know if you've watched that one. It, Army Hammer is in it. Brie Larson is in it. Um, I can't remember his name, but he's in like District 9 and he's the voice of Chappie and does all those Charlto movies. Charlto Copley. Is that his name? Charlto Copley. Sure. Murdoch um, in the anyway, A-Team. Right. Film. So he's in that. And um, it takes place like in the 70s and it still feels very current. So I, I like the way that he approached it. And it was also a movie that had very funny moments to it. Um, also, uh, and I apologize if I mispronounced the name, but Kari Joji Fukunaga, who did, oh. um, 
who did like Beasts of No Nation, is doing No Time to Die, the new Bond movie. He did Maniac yeah, true, and True, true Detective. Detective, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I I really love the work that he did on the first season of True Detective, and the show Maniac is great too, where it's like he can do really exciting, um, I don't know, like anxiety-filled moments, but he can also do really funny, twisted things. Uh, and mm-hmm. I'm excited to see what he does with the new Bond movie. So yeah, those were kind of my director ideas. What what were you going to say? Never mind. Okay. Never mind. Okay. No longer relevant. No longer relevant. So yeah, no that's what relevant. I that's that's what I got. All right. Cool. <laughs> Easy Rider. So oh, so so John. I mean, it, it's been a while since we've both seen it. Do do you think this is a movie that you'll go back and watch again at some point? That's hard to say. I think that if I don't know if I would, to be honest, unless like somebody was like, "Oh, I really want to watch." I've never seen Easy Rider, and then I might be like, "Oh, we should totally watch that sometime." You know, to experience it with somebody who's never seen it could be interesting. Um, but it's definitely yeah. not an easy movie to to get through. No, no, and uh, and that's yeah, good. I, and that's good. No, yeah, and I w- I was thinking, yeah, I would only see it again in that context or in the context where I'm you know, using it in, in some sort of e- educational way. Which, right. While I'm teaching ninth grade high school, probably not. Yeah. Here, kids. Here, if you're trying to transport a ton of money. In a motorcycle engine, this is how you do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. So, but I could see, I, I could definitely see myself, and I don't know if it would be, it, it could be another 10 years, but I think I have a new appreciation for Easy Rider. And I'm glad that I, that I, I'm glad that I watched it again now, and I actually yeah. have just kind of buying a, a cheap used copy of it because... Mm-hmm. Man, lots of holds on that one at the library. Yeah. Well, actually, the library here um, had plenty of copies, just not at my location. So I uh, just did oh. iTunes. No, Seattle Public Library. Yeah, yeah. I, I was going to do that. And then I, I, I thought to myself, well, let me let me run run over and see if I can find a DVD for the same mm-hmm. price. of uh, uh, Right. And uh, so I got have that. And, you know, hey. It's it's one that I've been thinking about recently and was was uh happy to to gain new appreciation for it. So Yeah. No, it was exciting to to watch. And why don't you let everyone know what we're going to be watching the next time? Oh boy, everyone, get ready. We are going from a movie that was made for a budget of $350,000 with Easy Rider to the multi-billion dollar epic franchise Indiana Jones. So yeah. that means we'll be talking about Raiders of the Lost Ark and Temple of Doom and Last Crusade and Christmas Call. Christmas Call. I can't even say it. So, but yes, which which means I think I'm going to have to watch Crystal Skull for the first time since I saw it in the theater. I, I this this is something that I would normally say for the next episode, but I will just say. Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, I saw opening night at the Vista Theater in Los Angeles. Going into it, 
you couldn't have seen a more excited group of people. And then coming out of it, you would not have seen a more let down group of people. But oh, speaking boy. of Kate Blanchett, saves it. Saves it in any way possible. Agreed. Oh, and speaking of Shia LaBeouf, not and so speaking much. Of Shia LaBeouf, not so much. <laughs> not so much. So the, anyway, but that's for next episode, John. A good journey to and you. And a good journey to you. Hey, hey, people. Sisters, brothers and sisters. Brothers and sisters. Come on now.
It's like an old dude, San Francisco. It's like the whole thing. Like, this could be the most beautiful evening we've had for this winter. You know, and we really... You know, why, why don't you fuck it up, man? Come on, let's get it together. Everyone!